From the Lucha Podcast Network, this is the Mass Startup Podcast. The Mass Startup Podcast profiles the most talented creators, impactful entrepreneurs, and high-performing professionals with the purpose to drive insights, learnings, and tactics to help you build the things that you believe in. Hey, so I am Alexandria Proctor. I am the co-founder and CEO of DigsConnect.com. DigsConnect is Africa's largest student housing marketplace. So basically, it's a place where Laos can go on and list their properties and students go on and find a home and roommates and a place to live while they're pursuing their higher education. Do you miss the hacking things together phase of things? You know, it's a very interesting question. I had such an interesting lunch the other day okay. in, in London with the CEO of a huge company. Mm-hmm. He's got a, a few companies in the portfolio. And we're speaking about that tension between like as you grow and losing the ability to innovate sometimes, you know, Mm. for normal reasons. It's so big, it's hard to turn around, you've got more vested more vested interests of the company and and what that means. I mean, obviously things are bigger, it's exciting, things feel like they're working. Yeah. But also if you get complacent, complacency is almost like a death ticket, you know? And there's this thing that Jeff Bezos says, and I always read Jeff Bezos' letters to investors. I know he's a contagious character, but he's undeniably, you know, a great business, a great, incredible. You know, like, he, yeah. he took the rules and he won. You know, yeah. How those rules are set is up to policymakers. You know, that's up to parliamentarians and, and governments. But within the set of rules, you know, he figured out how to build something extraordinary. And he has this thing he says where every day is day one, and I love that. So I think that the you know asking about hacking things together, I think. You should never stop hacking things together. Yeah. Or how big the company is, like, and I think COVID taught us that. And I think now these hectic maneuvers in in the financial markets are showing us more than ever. Like every day is day one, and as soon as you get complacent, there are competitors popping up, and they are going to be coming in hot. They're learning from mistakes. Yeah. They're going to be probably better funded than you, probably smarter, and I mean. I mean, with me, it's kind of low bars. It's not hard to be smarter than me. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, you got to stay on your toes. You know, I think you got to stay on your toes. I think that complacency is, is a death ticket sort of way. So every day is day one. So always got to hack it together. That's such a scary, like, thought process to have. You know, like, and a lot of people have this mentality, which is like, every day you have to earn your place. And mm-hmm. every day you have to justify why people have invested in you. Yeah. Why... People are willing to leave their jobs at different companies and come work for you. Why customers would place, you know, and they you, money. You, with you is more than just money. This is a roof over my head. <laughs> it's serious. Literally. How do you separate like the seriousness and the the reality of of the weight of pressure and still navigate with like such grace? Because you do navigate with grace and poise. <laughs> Thank you so much for saying that. <laughs> I, I feel like I'm, yeah, I, I don't feel like, I feel like I know what it is to navigate with grace and poise, and I feel like I'm so far from that. Mm. Well, you make it look good. <laughs> I have a magazine with your face on the cover. <laughs> I think that's like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, I'm, I'm trying. I think, I think that that's another reason why whenever life knocks me down or knocks anyone down, I think one of the one of the best things about it is the humbling effect. Mm. And I've started to look at that lately with a lot of respect because I think as soon as you lose humility, just like that whole day one mentality, you lose ability to be, you know, to operate with poise and grace. 
Mm. And I know that when I get very cocky, my head gets very big. And I'm just like, I remember one time I did an interview with Bruce Whitfield. And this is like Bruce Whitfield. Yeah. You know, like, wow. I mean, he's interviewing like guys at Davos. And he tweeted afterwards, just with Alexandria Proctor, force of nature, she's going places. Oh, wow. Let me tell you, this head of mine just, <laughs> I, I screenshotted it and I made it my background image. <laughs> I would find a way to humble brag and bring it to conversations. Like, how do I steer the conversation to Bruce Woodfield's tweet? <laughs> and, you know, I got so cocky about it. And there's no grace and humility or, or grace and poison that. So I think that you know, every time you do take a knock and every time that it's and this humbling effect is so important because I think the people we respect the most, you know, the leaders mm. or the people that change the world, that humility is just extraordinary. Mm. And I think I'm not a naturally humble person. I think I I think I'm quite flamboyant and I lose that humility. So I think uh, yeah, I think it starts with humility also. But to answer your other question you, you come in at a sort of very interesting time, mm. uh, you know, talking about how to handle pressure of this and every day kind of being quite intense. I think that, I think that you can kind of, you need to choose what kind of life you want. You know, if you want a life where you're going to feel comfortable and safe and okay, I've arrived, I can, I can get there now, which is, I think, definitely the goal for a lot of people who want to have like a calm life. I don't think startups are a good choice. No. At all. Unless your goal is to build and sell, maybe, and then you can have the life of the exited founder, which is, mm. you know, Clifton Forth at, you know, at 1 p.m. on a Wednesday. But, you know, I went through a bit of a journey with this because during the second year of COVID, during lockdown, mm. it was intense. I mean, I think everyone in the world, other than maybe the sellers of toilet paper, were having a pretty tough time, you know? The essential goods, guys. Yeah, today. <laughs> and the crazy thing is no one ever thought about what that would mean is one day your business could completely be shut out from existing completely. If you're not on this list, it's screw you. I compared it to the, when the asteroid hit, like, hit Earth and the dinosaurs. So like the environment's conditions were, were in such a way that if you were a dinosaur, you were like going to win. Mm. And then this asteroid hit and suddenly all the environmental conditions changed, you know, because there's like dust in the air, there's less sunlight, there's plants, there's food. So actually being really big was terrible. You want to be really small. And so when the environmental conditions change drastically, how do you need to morph or evolve as fast as you can? Obviously evolution doesn't work like that, but how do you need to kind of like evolve in a sense to be the one in that new environment? Mm. And so it is this day one mentality, but the stress of doing that, like I'm, I'm not going to mince words, it is intense. It, it nearly... You know, it finished me. By the second year of that, that the quarters were being at such a high level. I mean, this was probably a bit, of, a bit of an overshare. But I actually stopped menstruating for six months. Mm. My cortisol was so high. My body just, yeah, I mean, it's, you can get your head in the game, but the body kind of keeps the score and remembers that, those levels. And to be honest, I remember coming out of that. We got through it. You know, we're kind of pulling rabbits out of hats every day. Then the hat disappears. Then you're like, okay, I don't even know what I'm doing. I'm just going to figure it out. <laughs> And you get through that, you pivot and you change and you find, you know, how do you keep adding value in this world? And that's what you're always doing. And I think with a market like housing, there's always going to be people that need to live somewhere. Mm. But it's like the, the nature of that, the nature of how to help people find their home and how to help a landlord find a tenant, how do you change? So we got through it, which was amazing. But after that, I was so wiped. I was so resentful about work, you know, because the point mm. where I was like, I just want to get to a point where I can also just take a day off. I mean, I can also just, you know, chill for a bit yeah. and then as soon as I started having this resentment about how stressful it was you know I think that 
my ability to be humble, to innovate, to start off, but absolutely got diminished. And then the stress started picking up even more. Because mm. I think if you have like a natural version of something, you start finding all the worst things in it. You know, we don't see the world as it is, we see it as we are. And if you have this negative mindset, you're just going to like compound this negativity. Yeah. And, and yeah, you kind of, you know, as humans, I think we, I think we undervalue what we have and we overvalue what we don't have. And I was like, oh, well, maybe I should, you know, you know, you look at these alternatives. Maybe if I was, you know, living in this place or dating this person or doing this kind of thing or whatever it was, your life would be better. And I went through quite a journey with that. And eventually I sort of landed in this place where it's going to sound quite, I don't know, I'm a bit of a fan of Ayn Rand. But I think that I realized after a lot of back and forth and time and travels and reflection and conversations, I think I realized that just having the opportunity to do something extraordinary that is the gift, you know, mm. the work, the work that you can put out there into the world, you know, you can do something worthwhile to your life. You know, I realized just how fast it all goes, you know, and you can think like, what is it for? What am I really, and this plagues me, you know, what am I doing with this time that I have and how to make it meaningful? And I keep coming back to this idea that the opportunity to do something really extraordinary for humanity, that to me seems like an incredibly worthwhile life. And that is the work then. And so as soon as I changed that mindset to being like, oh my God, I've got 2,000 unread emails. It's oh <laughs> like, uh, to being like, look at these people who are depending on me to do something for them. Look at this, this, you know, the ripple effects I'm going to have in the economy through these people's lives, through every person who finds their home and yeah. their friends, like through the investors who put their money and their trust, you know, what I'm building right now, how extraordinary, how extraordinary that is. What a blessing, what a gift. And I changed my mindset to being like, again, it comes back to humility. I can't believe like, I'd like enough to, to have this opportunity to do something extraordinary, to have a life where I can have impact in the world. Mm. And then it's straight away, it's like, oh my God, this is amazing that I get to wake up and do this. This is incredible. Like, You're energized by changing your mindset. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. You see the work as the gift. You see the work as like the meaning, you know, this is what I get to do. And this is just gratitude, just absolute gratitude. How important does purpose become to you and like is this something that you are now deciding okay i'm in this fortunate position to do this amazing work therefore that is my purpose or was it a process of i think my purpose is entrepreneurship and to build things that could help other people in some way and then you found your way to disconnect what do you think your purpose is actually i'd like to ask you that oh that's scary <laughs> <laughs> Good. I think it's changing. It's an evolving, right? I always thought yeah. that my purpose was to enable, empower, and educate others. My mom was a, well, she still is a teacher for the past 30 years. Yeah, what um, does she teach? She teaches economics oh, um, and business studies and vendor in Soweto. And she's done this job for the last 30 years. And I've seen her like wake up every day and go to work. And, and I thought, what an incredible gift to shape a generation, yeah. right? And you you probably won't ever hear the story of the kid that she taught in the 14th year, you know, who probably is super successful now. Mm -hmm. But for me, it was just like, she knows that this work is important. And yeah. my aunt is pretty much the same. Like she was a, you know, she, she worked at a care home for people with who are dis differently abled, right? Yeah. And you know, across my family, there's a lot of people who are very, you know, public servants who understood that their role was to contribute to society and wanted to add value to mm -hmm. the world. And they just, they weren't okay with just 
getting the job, you know, yeah. getting the paycheck and being as, as successful as possible. I think money is important. It's really good. But I've just always been surrounded by people that want to contribute. So I think my purpose is to contribute to this generation in some way. Entrepreneurship just happened to be the thing that found me. Right? <laughs> I think I could have, I think I could still be very happy as just like a business studies teacher teaching matriculants. And if it's about business and helping them shape their ideas about what it takes to build something from zero to one and then one to whatever, mm -hmm. I think I'd still be fulfilled because I know that I'm contributing something. Living a purpose. Yeah. Loving your purpose. Purpose does evolve sometimes, I think. I don't know, but again, this is a quite interesting point in my life from a reflection point because I thought I knew my purpose. You know, I did this whole... That's so scary. When, when you realize, <laughs> I don't know anymore. <laughs> yeah, I've had so many amazing encounters lately. There's a few, you know, there's a few things that come to mind. One is, you know, one is what you seek is seeking you, in mm. a sense. So if you go out there with like good intentions, I realize that I'm very, I'm very bad at hiding my emotions and what I think. I can mm. see my face changes and I try to be more poker face even. I'm, I'm terrible at it. <laughs> so, you know, as soon as I, as soon as my like intentions change about something, I think it's pretty obvious. And so you have to kind of set your intentions right. And I mm. think you're saying that, you know, you want, you start from this place of wanting to contribute. And however that starts to manifest or come out in whatever form, that purity is there. I think people pick up on that straight away. I think we have this mm. like intuitive sense of how we communicate. I mean, we we evolved for each other, you know, in a sense. And so we, these tiny little social cues you pick up on. And if you have this amazing poker face, I think we kind of pick it up. Mm. And so you have to operate, I think, from that place of like, from authenticity and being like, okay, cool, let me, let me kind of assess on what it is and then kind of operate from there. Mm. Something else that someone told me the other day, which is that she just... I've literally just forgotten about and this whole amazing thesis day for not sound like roomy. <laughs> <laughs> but a 12 hour flight and no sleep has really just. <laughs> What's that doing to you? You're doing a lot of traveling and like working in different places and traveling a lot. Yeah. You said something about, you know, your body keeps the score. <laughs> What's that like? I, I, so many, two points. One is that I, our planet is amazing and humanity is amazing and every corner of it is amazing. You know, I think that these us versus them narratives, a lot of politicians try to ride on to, you know, when a popular vote is absolute rubbish. Mm. Like humans are wonderfully homogenous. Like everyone's the same things. If you're sitting in Kigali, New York City, in, in Tokyo, Buenos Aires, everyone wants to have a good life, you know, to fall in love, to have a meaningful career, mm. to have their kids go to school to have a good time and fun and feel wonder and awe and feel safe. And I think that, you, but how people express that is always obviously, but nuanced in every different culture. And I've been traveling a lot daily for, for Dix Connect, we expand internationally and for the NYDA also. Mm. And every time I go to a new city, I feel like as soon as I get there, I'm like, I, I kind of imagine my life there and I feel like I could live there. Mm. And I'd be like, oh yeah, Jaipur, 100% need. I'm going to stay for it. Actually, I got this, this scarf I'm wearing from a, a friend in Rajasthan. Or I'd get to Lisbon and be like, oh my gosh, Lisbon, I'm never leaving. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> or wherever it is, Buenos Aires or, you know, London or anywhere. It's just, the world is just so cool and so incredible. And I love humanity and I love the way that people express themselves and build. And it's wonderful. But on the same token, every time I land back in Cape Town or Johannesburg, I literally start crying. It is just this feeling of the air and the sun and 
the easy friendliness of everyone here. It's it's a bit of both. I think that I think that the idea of a home is really important. I think the idea of like a sanctuary is important. But also I think we like this intrepidness. There's this really great quote by Carl Sagan where he says the open roads still softly cause. And he mm. talks about other planets orbit the sun silently they wait for us to explore. So I think it's a bit of both. You know, I think the boring answer our parents gave is the right answer where it's about a balanced life. But also we're in a position right now, the company, where it's growing really fast. I'm expanding offshore and I'm just riding that wave, you know, and and going where Juhi leaves me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I think it's interesting, you know, speaking to founders at different stages of their business, right? Like my most recent podcast was with a guy who is, you know, less than 15 employees. They just rose. They just rose their first rose. Raised. Raised. Oh, and rose also. Why not? Let's make up our own rules. <laughs> <laughs> they just raised their pre-seed round. Very small amount as well. And he's saying, you know, I never want my company to go over 40 employees. We're mm-hmm. really happy where we are. We just need to try and scale the impact significantly. Yeah. Where are you guys at number-wise? But also, what does it take to be who you need to be where you are now versus where you needed to be when you were starting out? Because when I spoke to you, I think, is that two years ago? Yeah, was it during COVID or pre-COVID? I think it's like mid. Mid. Mid-off. <laughs> <laughs> who do you need to be at the beginning versus who you are now? Mm, well, I start with the numbers question. So, you know, when we first started, I think you start, ignorance is actually your best friend in a sense. You know, obviously you look back on the decisions you make and you're just like, oh my God, I can't believe I did that. Like, <laughs> and I know in a year's time, well, hopefully I look back in a year's time and be like, I can't believe I did that. It shows growth. Mm. Um, yeah, but I think ignorance is your best friend in a way because you kind of want to go with an open mind and it was a blank slate. So you can learn really fast on the job. You want to learn from the actual doing, not like the theory of it, because the doing just like really travels the lessons home. Mm. I always say that running a business during the lockdown was like an MBA every day because it's real life. You know, like everything's on the, the stakes are really high and everything's on the line. So I think, you know, starting out is all your energy and it's all your ignorance and it's all your naivety and it's all your passion and it's doing everything at once, learning about your customers, learning about the product, learning about how it ties together, learning about your model and how to iterate on that. And about the market, you know, I remember the first time I heard the term EBITDA. I was mm. like, wow. <laughs> was that the moment you were like, oh yeah, this is real? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's even like small things. Like when I first registered the business on Civic, I remember it's like, pick your financial year end. And I was like, what's a financial year end? Mm. And I think it was like April. So I was like, April, I guess. And everyone to this day is like, why is your financial end not February? Like every other company in the world. And I was like, I don't know. It was April. And to this day, it's still April. So those kind of things, you kind of just figure out as you go. And also you kind of level up as you need to. You know, so you take investor money on. It's like, okay, well, this is like someone else's money now. Or as soon as your clients reach a certain level, and you're like, hey, well, this is actually impacting a lot of people. Things are very serious now. So you kind of have to grow. I think you grow with it as you go. And I think it comes back to into humility, being like, okay, am I willing to accept when things are going wrong? And I think one of the, one of the, the big mistakes we fell into when we first started was the idea of what success looks like as opposed to what it actually is. And the idea of it is this very glamorous kind of thing, where it's like, okay, you gotta have a huge team, you know, like, Team mm. team is almost seen as like a metric of success. And you look at like the LinkedIn top startup list, it's like how big the team is. But I think it's actually really misguided because if you look at like something like WhatsApp when it's sold to Facebook, I think they had like 15 or something employees and they sold for like, you know, they're unicorn status. And so it's actually not about, you know, just having 
you know numbers is to be like what is the most efficient way you can you can deliver the value to your users so our team numbers were huge in the beginning so we want to grow and be amazing and be mm. on the top but we actually hadn't like really nailed down some of the more fundamental parts of the business i mean we had a different model then obviously you know covid forced us to pivot so we weren't expecting to pivot but yeah we hadn't even like sort of nailed on those fundamentals we we're like okay we need this we had a really cool office it wasn't like ridiculous i mean it was like an attic but still, it was like, you know, we had a small office and we moved to this bigger office. That was like a bit bigger, but still, we didn't necessarily have to do that just because it was really cool. We had like a swing from the ceiling. We were like, <laughs> so startup-y. And that was a like completely unnecessary. Yeah. We used to have launch events for, you know, new features on our app. We had like an app launch event. Like, dude, that's so unnecessary. Like, <laughs> you don't have to have an app. Now, if we do it, like it's maybe a post more importantly, conversations with our users. Mm. Yeah, you don't like launch events. Oh my gosh, all those kind of things. You know, I think the, the glamour of it can often lead people astray. Also, the big thing is fundraising. You know, obviously, when news breaks were fundraised, everyone goes mad and berserk, and that was really exciting. And then everyone reports on it. But revenue is the best investor. Mm. So people aren't celebrating, oh, you, you, you know, improved your traction, you've increased your conversion rate, you've pumped up revenue like, you know, X amount, but, or you spent you know, 100 iterations trying to get this feature right and you failed every single time, except for the last time. That is success. You know, that's a cool metric to work towards. And I think that's the way I've kind of learned is, you know, it's actually quite simple at the end of the day. It's just create value for your users. They pay you for it. Make sure you get paid and then just grow, you know, and all the other things are are fun, but I think red herrings definitely. Yeah. How do you think of running a global business versus a domestic one? <laughs> and also, where did this expansion come from, right? Because, you know, my thinking was always going to be, you know, you sort of figure out South Africa and you expand really aggressively across the different, you know, very core areas where the students are around and then possibly go across the continent. Yeah. What does that look like now? Yeah, well, again, it was one of those, like, our, our hand was forced in the way. So it was during lockdown. And it was the second year of lockdown, and we weren't sure staff was going to be opening up or not for university, but other markets were opening up. And so it's the idea of what well, we need, like, launch internationally, because we knew that we knew that we'd have a bit of a chance then to kind of get revenue through the door. And we definitely weren't ready to go, but we kind of just had to, you know, mm. we had to just make it happen. You know, there's a saying that a, a startup runs out of money. I just totally ruined my saying, no, <laughs> a startup fails when it runs out of money. And I don't think that's true. I think a startup fails when the founders run out of energy. Because mm. as long as you're still a best at heart, you know, mind and soul, you will keep iterating, you'll keep figuring it out. You're going to keep, you know, pulling those rabbits out of a hat and making it happen. And so that was one of those things where it was absolutely insane. You know, we were on the end of two really hard years and we're like, we got to look at new markets, you know. Mm. Obviously, South Africa did end up opening up and we had a really good season in 2022, which was amazing. But by then we kind of started looking at markets overseas. And so I kind of just followed through with that. Yeah, markets in, in Europe had started opening up. And so it's a case of just to make this happen. And then I, it's actually quite a great story. I was having a random conversation with someone at some tech event like a year ago. And he mentioned that he knew the guys at student.com. So student.com is the world's biggest student housing platform, similar to Dick's Connect, but they've been going for a while mm. and they're just absolutely massive. And the team is amazing. And he mentioned you, the, the, the team there. And I was, I was like, okay, and then I completely forgot about it. And then during that time we think of offshoring, 
obviously we're looking at the competitive landscape and student comp keep popping up and I was like how are we going to compete with these guys like South Africa is amazing in that you know it's you, the competition landscape isn't that isn't that intense but you go to a market like you know Europe or the States or the UK there's like a hundred guys that yeah. are funded by like dollars you know and you're coming there with your, your 20 to 1 rand <laughs> you're like how's that <laughs> So, you know, you can take your multi-million dollar marketing campaign against my five rand. We're going to make something happen, yeah. Sure. Yeah, you know, they say constraints make you more creative, but there's limits to <laughs> I'm a big fan of that saying. Like, constraints really do make us more innovative and creative. So, was, But there are limits, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Competing against dollars is one of them. <laughs> Competing against dollars, pounds, euros, it's, it's tough. I mean, on the other hand, though, if you've got your cost base in South Africa, that gives you a huge competitive edge. Mm. A huge competitive edge. And so a lot of investors were like that. And so I kept seeing this name pop up and I was like, oh gosh, what am I going to do? And then one day ran, I still remember I was in Greenpoint and I was driving and suddenly I remembered that, that I met this guy who knew mm. the team of stream.com. So it's such a crazy story. So I literally pulled over on the side of the road. I was riding the street opposite where Vega is and Pull up and I pull my handbrake up and I messaged him on WhatsApp and I said, Hey, I was trying to call him. The, the phone was in gate, like, didn't even go through, it was just like cut out. And I was like, Oh my gosh, why have you changed his number? And then I WhatsApped him and I said, Hey, how are you doing? Do you still have, do you still know that have contacts there? And he replied the message and he's like, I've actually moved to Berlin. I was going to change my WhatsApp number uh, like tomorrow. Oh wow. So you got me just in time. And I was like, That is, that's mad. And he said, Yeah, I do know, I know the founder there. And I was like, Oh my gosh. And he goes, yeah, I'll send you his number, which I think for the record, you definitely shouldn't send out people's numbers. <laughs> like, randomly, it's <laughs> like, it's, it's, yeah, without first checking with the person, you know, you get those like phone calls and so I was like, hey, I got you know from this person. You're just like, <laughs> why did you do that? <laughs> send an email first, please. But anyways, he sent me his number, which was, which was amazing. And literally straight away, I just, I called him. So his name's, name's Luke. And since then, I mean, this was like two years ago. Luke has become one of my closest friends. He's one of the coolest guys I think I've ever met. He's like an older brother to me. But obviously, the time I didn't know him at all. So I just cold call him and he answers. And I'm like, how's it? You don't know me, but you should. Mm. <laughs> Dave Connect is huge. It's growing. You guys are, you know, you're sleeping on Africa. It's absolutely, it's the fastest growing new population in the world. Like it's going to go places and we should really work together so you can like take advantage of, of this growing market here. No, no, no. And I think he thought this person is absolutely... On a cold call. Yeah, literally talking absolute <laughs> shit. But he's like, look, I'm in Dubai for the next two weeks. If you can get here, we can chat. So, you know, obviously, stuff from passport getting visas is like... Mm. It's, it's not easy. But anyways, managed to just hustle my way. Got a visa, hopped on a flight to Dubai. And my co-founder and I, Greg... And I never forget, we met him at a place called Senor Pico on, you know, the palm um, in, in Dubai, they have like that palm man I've island. seen this on the internet, yes. So we went to this place called Senor Pico and it was so great. It's like a Mexican theme, it's a restaurant and you're kind of looking out over, over Dubai. And I think straight away, it's like those things where we met our first investors, where you just, you hit it off, you know, there's that chemistry where you're just like, oh my gosh, we've got the same vision and alignment and where we do business and sense of humor. And we just absolutely connected so well. And we realized we could definitely work together on this. And so we signed that partnership. I think, you know, the news broke in 2021 about it. Mm. And yeah, we partnered with them ever since. And that's been absolutely incredible. So that was 
yeah, a huge part of, of us expanding internationally and we're going ever since. So what's that like, running an expansion-focused business? I think the main thing is my co-founder is amazing. So mm. Greg Ramsey Keel is just incredible. He's like, he's like, the only I can describe is like once a generation, a guy like that is born. He's just amazing. He, he's just amazing. You know, he's so, he's so organized and so focused. He knows how to get things done. He knows how to like make a plan. He knows how to make things happen. And he's just so like, honest. He's, he's literally the hardest worker ever in my entire life. You can ask mm. anyone about that. He's got this reputation of just like, he gets stuff done. Like, no matter what it takes, how many hours it takes, like, he just operates relentlessly. And I think that, like, literally our superpower is the fact that we managed to find each other and we work together so, so well. So I think everything's possible with the right team. And we managed to find each other, you know, quite early on when we were on, on student governments and UCT. So, yeah, as long as we've got each other, <laughs> we'll figure it out. <laughs> you know, recently I had a magazine that, you know, had your face on it. I was like, oh, this is amazing. Rockstar, superstar, <laughs> entrepreneur life. How do you not let that get to you? I do think you are super smart about what you pay attention to, what you give your energy to. Is it just that? I think it's, I mean, it's quite like, I mean, those things are very isolated incidences. Mm. Uh, I remember the day, for example, the photographer came and literally was doing my usual thing. I'd woken up, sweatpants, t-shirt, straight away onto my computer and just like go 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 then i got a phone call and the photographer's like i'm gonna be there an hour for the shoot it's like okay gosh and then when you got a shower you know give myself semi-decent he comes he's amazing we do the shoot takes maybe like an hour and a half then he goes and then i'm back to it again so it's not like you know i'm sort of in milan you know <laughs> on the catwalk and like heidi Klum's my bestie you know <laughs> i'm like you know having starbucks coffee on my computer looking like a train wreck all day every day so it's isolated incidences i think i mean the i've been doing this for five and a half years now so it's not like i mean if it happened in the first six months then i'd be like watch out world but <laughs> <laughs> i don't feel like watch out world most of the time most i'm just like you know you're just getting it's brick by brick really yeah. and yeah so it's kind of just it's isolated incidents where you have these big rah-rah moments are there things that you're doing to keep your energy up you know, to constantly go and what you mentioned as the word, how you described your co-founder, go relentlessly. I think that's like <laughs> such a powerful, like, Relent. oh my goodness. I'd see that in a Nike ad and go, oh yeah, I'm hyped. I'm going to go work. <laughs> relentless. Yeah. Are there things you're doing to make sure that you're okay while doing that? You know, I think it comes back to that thing I spoke about at the beginning where you have to, it starts with like your intention. Do you want to do this work? Do you want to build this company? Do you want to achieve those goals? And I think once you've decided in your heart and your soul, you're like, yes, this is it. This is like my life purpose. I could, I could do no, nothing else that is more meaningful or more fun or more exciting than literally what I'm doing right now. So I kind of start with that. I think aligning that's really important. The other thing I'd say is just taking care of your basic biochemistry. Sleep is crucial. It's all the boring things that we all know we need to do, but, but we don't. We start, so it's the things like sleep, you know, really trying to like limit screen time after like 11 p.m. It's things like, so I stopped drinking. Mm. Actually, so I don't drink alcohol anymore. And that's been really, really helpful. I think that, you know, once you kind of hit 25, you take longer to bounce back, you know, from mm. like a night out. And my night out would be like two glasses of wine at a dinner party. So again, I wasn't going, I've never been a big jawler, but even that I could feel the effects of. And it definitely slowed down my ability to think and operate and work. And I was like, it's just not worth it. I mean, stuff has amazing wine. But now I'll go to wine farms for the food, you know, experience. 
I replaced alcohol with a chocolate addiction, though. So that's <laughs> <laughs> not as bad. <laughs> a lot of chocolate, but those things, you know. So cutting down or eliminating like booze really helps. Sleep is as sleep is the main thing, and being active. And while I've actually got into running lately, I think even just like walks, just getting outside, those kind of things really, really help. Mm. The biochemistry of it, and I'd say the third thing that has been absolutely instrumental is a sense of humor. Like there's nothing like laughing if something is really intense or mm. whatever. You just got like to break that mood, and that's like I think your company culture. Like we've got a really, like a really fun company culture. I really enjoy it. Everyone's like always telling jokes, and the banter's amazing, and the memes are amazing, and our stickers on our WhatsApp group are hilarious. So we just laugh a lot, and I think that really helps. Oh, and then sorry, I said the third thing was the final thing. I lied. There's four things. The fourth thing is I think I'm just also just very energetic, which is interesting because at school. It got me in trouble a lot. I was mm. like, probably definitely some sort of like ADHD or I'm like very hyperactive. And I was always in trouble for like bouncing around on my seat and kind of being so enthusiastic. And I just needed to find a way to channel that and I did in startups. So I have all this energy that I can just like plow into something. So that actually helps. How do you not let the scale, the growth and the investment, the sizes, everything getting crazier, not get to you? You know, I think that it's like there's this story about, that's a long story, so I don't want to get into the whole, basically this guy, he has to fulfill a promise by carrying, by carrying a little, like, he gets given like a runt piglet, and he has to fulfill a promise by carrying this piglet up a mountain every day to drink water, and then it gets better, and every day, of course, the piglet gets bigger, 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 so it gets huger, and huger, and huger, but every day he's getting stronger, and stronger, and stronger, and I think it's kind of like that, when it happens slowly. It's like watching it's like your hair grow. You know, it happens very slowly, but you just get stronger and stronger and stronger. And I think the main thing, especially as, you know, if you're the CEO of the company, is just judgment calls. You've got to just get really good at making judgment calls really fast with often limited information. And I think, in a sense, it's a, it's a skill. It's a honed skill. The more judgment calls you make and see the repercussions, good or bad or VV, V bad, you just have a feedback cycle. So I think you should get better as you go, to be honest, as long as you switched on and you're there and you're active and you learn as you go. Yeah. I've seen you start tweeting a bit of like startup advice here and there. <laughs> and like I, every time I see it, I'm like, I wish more people were seeing this. And you have plans of writing a book, obviously. <laughs> I've written one already, actually. Okay, tell Surprise. me about it. That's currently my second edit. So it's with NB Publishers. Mm. Um, Congratulations. And, thank you. <laughs> it's exciting because I actually have a blog. I blog every day. I love writing. It's just, I really enjoy I've got a lot of emotions, a lot mm. of feelings, and I love to express myself. I find literature and words beautiful. I've actually really gone to Urdu poetry lately. It's, it's really beautiful. And so I write every day. Mm. And I, I think I was doing a talk once just about startups in Cape Town. And then Melinda Ferguson, who has an imprint with NB Publishers, and got in touch with me, we started chatting, and I'd written some stuff before and she read it, and she said, look, I think there's an incredible story here mm. with this idea, because all the startup books are written in you know, in the US or in, in, in wealthy markets, but it's like, how do you build a startup in Africa, in, in places like South America, in places where it's chaotic and there's no real like infrastructure, there's very low venture capital and all the market conditions that are here, but also all the opportunity. And it's really fast-moving economy and almost like this blue ocean. Mm. So what are the challenges there? And so I started telling, it was supposed to be a starter book, but when I started writing it, it became something else. So for example, one of my favorite writers, I love Jack Kerouac. And the way he tells the story, I think it's just so 
So beautiful. Yeah, this, I mean, the same writers I drew inspiration from. I also really love the way that J.D. Salinger kind of has this, like, kind of this narrative that he tells. Or, you know, in the big short, that film, where yes. every now and again, they'll cut to Margot Robbie talking about business principles. Yeah, just, just breaking it down yeah, just a little bit. But it's a narrative. So <laughs> I love the idea of telling, you know, important lessons through a narrative. It's more interesting. I think humans relate to stories. Mm. And so I started telling my story then. And it's set in this backdrop. You know, I was born on the same year as South Africa's democracy. And so it's so interesting because you have this backdrop of this new, almost like a new country. And I, I think in so many ways, South Africa is almost like a miracle. The fact that we had this, this complete change of system without full-blown civil war is rarer than hen's teeth. I think the fact that there was a man who spent, you know, 27 years in prison and he came out and he said forgiveness. Like, it gives me like chills every time I think about that. And that's extraordinary. It's extraordinary. And I mean, I can't think of another leader that hasn't, in the world that hasn't kind of let everyone down a bit or, or betrayed our trust in them. And in South Africa, the fact that we had this this extraordinary person who made us believe we could be better than we thought we were. And so it's kind of like it's set in the backdrop of growing up in this new South Africa and this complexity of, of being a white South African, you know, and there's, mm. there's a lot, you know, to unpack, especially as a child, because you don't often know the system that you're a part of, but you are a part of it. And then as you grow into adulthood, it's like, okay, cool, you've inherited this. What are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about the world? What are you going to do about the person that you are? And then your own complexity as a human being, your own insecurities, your own heartbreaks, your own loves, your own faults and flaws that you have. And how to kind of reconcile these two. Being imperfect, being in a, you know, in this, yeah, in this new democracy, all these things, you know. And I think it's so interesting. And then within that, being this highly unlikely candidate, you know, I was always in trouble at school. I was studying biology, you know, this highly unlikely candidate to kind of become this entrepreneur, which I've, I've become, how that all happened, you know, and mm. then interspersed along that the lesson. So, you know, this is how we fundraised and then distilled that into the mistakes we made, the lessons we learned and how advice from there. This is how we found product market fit, the long way, the difficult way. And then there's like the distilled lessons from that. So it's kind of the whole journey of that. So I sent it off to to the, my editors. Oh, sorry, I just picked you there. Well, <laughs> sent it off to my editors. They sent their feedback. I went through that again. The problem is I love writing. So mm. they'll sort of cut it down. And then I'll go add like, you know, 6,000 <laughs> more words to it. And they're just like, you know, cut it down again. I have to really explain the point. They're like, we get it. So, you know, like, this is enough. So the problem is that the story's ongoing. I mean, mm. just this year, there's been the most incredible developments you know i was at g20 which was amazing um the international expansion has been amazing we have a deal that's that hopefully i'll be able to share in the next like month or two which mm. would be huge <laughs> like scary huge all the best thank you if it goes if it, if it if, yeah if it, if it goes together a few balls in there i think we're at a stage now we can like you know without losing focus we've got a few things that we're really hoping to land at the moment which really exciting and the story's kind of ongoing so we had to kind of draw a line in the sand and be like okay let's let's stop it here and then make it happen but i love writing it i try to make it human so really funny in my style so it's not boring hilarious ridiculous <laughs> all the antics we got up to a bit of you know the complexity and about the setting that and the complexity of of you know the hard lessons we've learned with startups and yeah so i i i'm really excited about that it's called upstart Oh, that's cool. And I'll let you know once we've confirmed things like, you know, publication date, hopefully it's going to be Q1 next year and the book tours. And what, what do you hope people take away from the book? I hope that people feel deeply, deeply inspired to 
to know that they are personally responsible for the state of the world. That if you are a thinking, conscious human being, you have every right and every responsibility to shape the course of humanity. And it doesn't matter who you are or what you have said about you, or how people have doubted you, or not believing you or stood on you, whatever it is, you have every right and every responsibility and you are completely ready to change the course of humanity and you should. And and have fun doing it. Thank you. To access previous episodes of this podcast, but also again access to other shows on our network, please visit lucha.com.